Great. Well, Lord, we ask that you would anoint this time. God, anoint me to stay within the time. (laughs) In Jesus' name, and get everything done. So I give it to you, Lord, and I pray that uh, your burden on your heart would be received by all of us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Just so you know, guys, uh, the reason why we scheduled everything uh, for every weekend, rather, this summer for Holy Spirit night or a related meeting is that uh, there was a certain momentum that developed as we met every week in May, and as we were planning the summer, we just felt as if, while not every meeting is going to be a classic Holy Spirit night, we wanted to provide something every weekend so people could continue to come, continue to soak in God's presence, continue to receive from Him and be built up and be sent out. So we really felt like we wanted to continue that. Not every meeting will be exactly the same kind of meeting, although typically there will be the same kind of flow, worship and teaching and ministry. But, but like this next one, for instance, will probably be a shorter meeting and probably be more instruction-oriented, maybe a little less worship, but still the personal ministry as well. So that's why we did that. So... Um, I'm completing what I began last week when we talked about revival. And uh, I began by uh, saying that revival is uh, a term that for some of us is pejorative. That means it's negative. For some of us it has uh, images in our minds when we think of revival that are not good ones. We think of charlatans. We think of people with big hair, (laughs) which wouldn't apply to me. I shall never be that kind of revivalist. <laughs> but uh, we, th- we think of negative things. But I want to try to dispel that and uh, want to try to demystify so we can understand revival. So we started on that last week, and we got pretty much to um, the definition of terms, which I want to review for you very quickly. So three terms primarily are used when theologians or historians talk about the work of God in what is typically known as revival. The first is up there, you can see it, renewal. Second is revival. Third is awakening. And actually these are in order of magnitude, typically. So when the Holy Spirit works extraordinarily, by the way, you could refer to revival as the Holy Spirit on steroids, if you want to. So when the Holy Spirit is working extraordinarily, and when he works ordinarily, it's good, and when he works extraordinarily, it's magnificent. So when he works extraordinarily, he brings his power, which is, of course, the power of Jesus, the power of the Father, it's the power of the Trinity, the triune God. When that power flows into and deeply affects an individual, and then that affecting occurs on one individual, another individual, third individual, etc., so that individuals are renewed or touched by the Holy Spirit. That is called renewal, to be made new in God. And renewed persons actually are often used by God to ignite revival. Uh, I'm studying revival right now. It's amazing how many of the individuals in history who have been used by God to ignite major new waves of God flowing into the church have themselves, just as individuals, been strongly overwhelmed 
and come upon by the power of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes the language is used very poetically, like these waves, like, I think it was Finney who said that it was like he was being fanned with giant wings. And this was the, the flow of the Holy Spirit's love. He, he identifies this power as the power of love flowing into him and through him just hour after hour until he actually had to get to the point where he was exhausted physically. And he said, God, would you please stop it? <laughs> you need to stop this, Lord, because I can't stand any more of it. But after that, the day after, the day after Finney was used to begin preaching to people uh, concerning the salvation of their souls and many hundreds of thousands were converted under his ministry. And that's just one example of what happens when renewal hits an individual. Revival is different. But let me go to awakening. Awakening is when revival affects churches throughout a larger geographical area Uh, ideally such as a nation, or historically it's been true that clusters of nations are often impacted by revival. So it's not just on an individual, hits a a whole group of churches and then spreads out into the society around and flows into the highest level of government all the way down into all the institutions of government and uh, hits the entertainment industry and the... um, uh, um, sports industry, just, you know, when, when awakening happens, it's a society-shaking movement. And then revival is kind of right in the middle. This is the where, where people put this term. It's when the extraordinary work of the Holy Spirit affects a church, it should be singular there, a church or churches and their surrounding communities. So a real key here What differentiates renewal from revival, and then I want to move on in the interest of time, is that a renewal tends to affect individuals and make them come alive in God, which is great, which is really good. It's always wonderful when that happens. But when revival, according to the classic definition of revival, occurs, those renewed individuals take their places in an entire church and through their lives there's an absorption of God that goes on in an entire church body or even a cluster of churches. Let's say it's a denominational structure that's affected by revival or um, uh, a state, let's say, uh, or a portion of a state, southeastern Pennsylvania, let's say, or um, Toronto, Canada and surrounding Uh, there was a revival, and actually the revival's still going on and could very well be uh, close to being an awakening at this point in time. Some, uh, let me see, 94, 2014, some, what, about 12 years later. So it's still going on. Anyway, so this revival is is when it goes beyond an individual, it flows out into a church, and then, and then the power of God begins to flow out from the church or churches into surrounding communities and brings societal change. Not on a huge level, but on a relatively local level or even beyond the local. So, you know, the definitions of the terms kind of flow into each other a little bit, but that's typically the way... We understand this. And then continuous revival would be an example in in the book of Acts, the New Testament church. 
They were continually fulfilling the conditions that God has established for human beings to fulfill. And if they fulfill those conditions, then God in his sovereign goodness will tend to bring about uh, an extraordinary work of his Holy Spirit. And they were in that position. So we look all through the book of Acts and we see wave after wave after wave of God's Spirit flowing through the church. Okay, so I want to look at some other aspects of revival today. And just, uh, again, demystify it so we understand. Let's go on to the next slide, please. Uh, Real quickly, historical, just taking the revival history in America since since pretty much the founding of the nation. So what's called the first great awakening, and you can tell why it's called an awakening, because it, it affected literally... Uh, what, we weren't a nation at that point. We were, we were a collection of colonies, but we sort of had a, a corporate identity. So there was an awakening that spread through pretty much the entire of New England and, and, and in, even into Virginia, what they called Virginia, which was huge at that point. Virginia is now a state like this, but Virginia was actually from Maryland all the way down to Florida. That was called Virginia back then. So this is a great awakening. It was fueled by Edwards and Wesley and Whitfield as well. Uh, Wesley and Whitfield were British, uh, and they started a, a revival in Britain, and then they traveled across the Atlantic to America and began to preach, and wherever these guys went, particularly Whitfield, he was an individual who had been personally renewed in great power by the Holy Spirit when he was 22 years of age. At that age, he became a major national revivalist. 22. And his life was one that was completely dedicated to the Lord. Uh, So he went across uh, into the British colonies over here in America... And, uh, and then traveled back to England again, back and forth, uh, for about 30 or 40 years. And so brought revival wherever he went. Edwards Wesley. Edwards was American in New England, American pastor. And uh, he also uh, produced an amazing flow of God's Spirit. And you know what's funny? It seems, not funny, funny, but, but unusual in a way, is that when revival flows into the earth, Many times, it seems as if there's a kind of saturation in the spiritual atmosphere that then kind of manifests itself in these revival outposts at various places in a near simultaneous way. God sort of raises up individuals who have been prepared to carry the revival fire. And without necessarily communicating with each other, they seem to tap into the power of God that then is released from the spirit realm into them and through them. So you find pockets of revival springing up at near simultaneous times historically. And this was one of those times, the 1730s and 1740s. So this was in Protestant Europe and British America. Interestingly, I find this interesting. Calvinist theology prevailed except for Wesley. Wesley was Arminian, for those of you who are aware of that term. But uh, both Edwards and Whitfield 
were dedicated Calvinists. And through them, God did remarkable works bringing thousands and thousands, even hundreds of thousands of people to himself. And the primary purpose of this particular awakening was to revive the existing churches in England and in America and get the people in the churches saved. Now, they were dutiful people who came to church, but like in America now, in fact, when Ken Fish was here, some of you heard him say that the leader of the Southern Baptist Convention estimates that either 70 or 80, which one was it? 80% of the people currently in Southern Baptist churches are not saved. So a huge mission field is the church, right? (laughs) So this was the purpose of this great awakening, to awaken the church. This was primarily those who were affected. The second great awakening, 1790-1820, Finney was the primary character of that, Charles Finney, was training to be a lawyer. God got a hold of his life in a powerful way. He received a dynamic, personal baptism in the Holy Spirit. I described that to you a little earlier, and the day after he received it, he dropped his plans to become a lawyer and somehow got into a church, began preaching the gospel. There was a power on his words and an anointing he was carrying from God, and uh, particularly through uh, the, the central aspect of repentance from sin, um, Finney was used by God to bring hundreds of thousands of people to the Lord. His theology was Arminian, like Wesley's was, and the primary purpose of this second great awakening, which took place uh, in America, but also flowed over, it seems like the, the Western world, the Protestant Western world, and with some, um, some flowing up into Scandinavia, some down into South Africa and portions of Africa, and some over into Japan and Korea, but primarily those parts of the world are the parts of the world that tend to experience revivals. There are probably sociological and historical reasons for that to be true, but we don't have time for that. Okay, next slide. All right, 20th century American again. In 1899, in fact, December 31st, 1899, the very day before the start of the new millennium, there was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit at a Bible school in Topeka, Kansas that was being run by a guy named Charles Parham. And he uh, was teaching on something called the baptism of the Holy Spirit with speaking in tongues. They were exploring that. They hadn't experienced it. But they had gotten interested in seeing that reality happen. And so on December 31st, 1899, the very, very, almost the last hour before the beginning of the new millennium, 20th century, there was a woman who received the outpouring of a personal Pentecost into her life with the speaking of tongues, and that started, literally started, that was, that was the one, you know, when, when, a, uh, um, when water boils, yeah, yeah. it gets to a certain point, and there's one molecule of water, am I right about that, is that, is that what it is, piece, little bit of water, <laughs> that 
suddenly pops up as a gas and begins to evaporate, right? There's the first one. And she was the first one. She was the first one of the 20th century revival that literally started here, flowed over, the connections took place here, but flowed over into um, Azusa Street. Again, we're dealing with only America because in Wales, which is a portion of Great Britain, uh, in, in 1904, it was a major nation-shaking revival that then actually flowed out over into various nations and then hopped over the ocean and came, in 1906, came to uh, Azusa Street in Los Angeles, uh, through which historians estimate that over, up until now, over 650 million people have come into the kingdom of God. So, from this beginning at the start of the 20th century, there was a great healing revival in the 50s in America. Again, we're only dealing with America. These were tent revivals. There were remarkable healings. Extraordinary miracles took place. Uh, Oral Roberts was one of these guys. But God shut this revival down, I believe, prematurely because the revivalists became highly competitive with each other. Who could get the most saved? Who could have the most extraordinary signs and wonders? Who could have the bigger tent? Tent envy. So seriously. So when one guy would get a bigger tent, the other guy would have his people check out the sides of the tent and say, okay, we got to get a bigger one. God just shut the whole thing down. But that flowed into the 60s. The charismatic renewal into mainline uh, Protestant churches took place and some into Catholic. The word faith movement sprung up at that point. Shepherding discipleship, which kind of had a bad end, but you know, there for a while they were the Mumford and Prince and Basham and those guys, I was, I was part of that. I was actually part of all three of these in the late 60s, the charismatic renewal. I came into the Lord when I was, uh, when, not when I was 69, when, <laughs> in 1969, I came to the Lord. So I was at the tail end of the 60s. The charismatic word, faith, shepherding, discipleship were all alive then. 70s and 80s, the Jesus People Movement, starting in Southern California, uh, in the 80s, that what's called the third wave movement or the vineyard was actually a, a revival movement that began in Southern California. If we have time, I'm going to read you a little bit about that. The beginning of the vineyard was born in revival. Vineyard was born in revival. There is revival in our DNA. And the, the movement of the prophets uh, in the late 80s. Then in the 90s, the Toronto Blessing, Brownsville, um, Melbourne, Florida. Again, we're only looking at the at the American revivals that took place, the apostolic reformation. So people who believe in the fullness of the restoration of the church that'll be without spot and wrinkle before the Lord comes back believe that now, now and for about 10 or 15 years, we've been in a period of time when the Lord is bringing back into the church the reality of the apostolic office. I'm not talking about the Roman Catholic or, or that, that understanding of what apostolic means. I'm talking about the biblical apostles who are architects of the kingdom, who are foundation layers, who are those who have tremendous authority to oversee, to birth, to grow 
uh, great works of God. I believe John Wimber was an apostle. I believe that um, Lauren Cunningham, the founder of YWAM, an apostle. There are these people whom God has used in contemporary America to raise up big works of God. 2000 to the present, we've got the Bethel Church movement. Even though they're not organized as a movement, this is surely a very influential movement in the earth. The uh, Mike Bickle's IHOP movement, influential movement in the earth. Part of the prayer movement that that has been in place now uh, in the American church for probably 15 or 20 years. A real resurgence of prayer has, has been flowing. And remember last week I talked about the April 9th meeting called Azusa Again in California, which was an enormous, over 100,000 people gathered, and primarily this was one gigantic prayer meeting. So 100,000 on site, but millions of people online all over the world, cooperating together, praying for God to send his spirit once again as he did 110 years ago in Azusa Street, California in a little converted stable. All right, next slide, please. Definition of revival. The word itself means to make alive, to recover, to be healed. Always involves an extraordinary and unusual operation of the Holy Spirit, producing a heightened reality of God's presence, holiness, love, and power. It's often sudden and unexpected. It's a major, powerful in breaking of the kingdom of God. Now, this is vineyard language. The vineyard movement started by John Wimber approximately 1979, maybe a little, little bit earlier. This movement is known as probably the preeminent kingdom theology movement in the earth right now. Now, what that means is that the people in the vineyard who started it and are still fueling it and growing it are dedicated to a theological understanding called kingdom theology, which is that the kingdom of God, the power of the age to come, the fullness of what Jesus is going to bring when he comes again and establishes the full manifestation of his kingdom, that that kingdom reality is continually breaking into the present in the form of healing, in the form of signs and wonders, in the form of prophetic accuracy, in the the form of, of tremendous works of evangelism, in the form of revival. So we see it, we call, and if you're a vineyard person, you're speaking vineyard language, you'd call this same thing that we're calling revival, the inbreaking, the breaking in of the kingdom of God into our normal reality. So you've got the ordinary working of the Holy Spirit, let's say in a church situation, but then you've got the extraordinary operation of the Holy Spirit when he breaks in in power through his gifts, through his uh, anointings that, that are carried by people in the kingdom. And when that occurs in a major way, you've got something called revival. Okay, let's go to the next slide. Uh, Three definitions. God's quickening visitation of his people touching their hearts and deepening his work of grace in their lives. That's kind of a mild definition, but it's accurate. Second one, an extraordinary movement of the Holy Spirit producing extraordinary results. I like that definition because for whatever reason, I've fallen in love with the word extraordinary. I like it. I like that word. Thirdly, 
Duncan Campbell was a Scottish revivalist used, I believe, in the early 20th century, maybe in the late 19th century, a community saturated with God. I also like the word saturated for some strange reason. Okay, let's turn to a biblical definition. No, we we don't turn to that yet. This is an expanded definition from a guy who studied revivals. No, no, we can go back to it. Revival is divine intervention in the normal course of spiritual things. It is God revealing himself to man in awesome holiness and irresistible power. Who likes the word awesome? (laughs) Jonathan likes the word awesome. (laughs) It is such a manifest working of God that human personalities are overshadowed and human programs abandoned. Guys, this... I was part of revival during the Jesus people days. And I was part of the Toronto Blessing Revival as well. And it is true, and particularly when I look back, I was a relatively young guy, I was 21, 22, when the Jesus people happened. And I can remember being in meetings, and literally, there was no one dominating personality that was leading the meeting. There was a presence in the room who was leading the meeting. There was a manifestation of an, if I can use the word, energy, a supernatural energy that was flowing, that, was fill, that had filled the room, and it was tangible. That means feelable. And that was the environment that I thought was normal Christianity when I first came to the Lord. That was revival Christianity. So I, I've always longed for that. I'm never satisfied with something less than that. So those of you who want to try to understand me, that's a key right there. All right? It is man retiring into the background because God has taken the field. It is the Lord working in, there's that word again, extraordinary power. On, that should be, on, saint and sinner. Revival must of necessity make an impact on a community. Now this is important. To go from renewal to revival, revival must of necessity make an impact on the community And this is one means by which we may distinguish it from the more usual operations of the Holy Spirit. Okay. Now, let's go to the next slide. This is a biblical definition of revival. Actually, in the New Testament, the word revival is never mentioned. It is mentioned in the Old Testament. There is a Hebrew word for revival, and it literally means to to make new, uh, to um, give life to again. But here in Acts 3.19, there is a definition of a time period when God is working in extraordinary ways. This is right after Pentecost. Pentecost was an enormous revival, right? That's what it was, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, remarkable results. That was, a, that was the first New Testament uh, revival. So here, here it is. Here's the way it's described. This is Peter's sermon to those who have been observing the 120 in the upper room with tongues of fire on their heads, speaking in languages they don't know to other people who are hearing their own native tongue coming from these people. This is what Peter says. Repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away. That's an important part of revival. Revival has within it always a component 
of in order to get to the new life in God, you've got to turn away from the old life of sin. Sin definition simply is missing the mark. All right? Not being fully human the way God intends us to be. Missing the mark in some way or another. So turning away from that and embracing the new way God gives, this is repentance and returning. Then times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. That is an essential definition right there of revival. Now let's unpack that a moment. And then I want to get to one more, one thing I want to read concerning the vineyard being born in revival, and that's probably all the time we'll have today. So times of refreshing, we're just going to unpack that phrase. Times. This is the word in Greek called kairos. There are two different Greek words for time. One defines time as it sequentially goes by in our lives. Um, Jesus, when he speaks to his brothers who want him to go to a particular feast, he says to the brothers, your time is always the same. But he says, my time is different. My time is an anointed or a a special time. And the the contrast there, the time of the brothers is the the, um, uh, the chronological time that just flows along. Kairos are especially appointed, divinely given moments or seasons of time in which there is a specially appointed activity to take place. So revival is not all the time, although you could make an argument that in the book of Acts you have fairly continuous revival taking place, but typically revivals are moments of time when the conditions on man's part are fulfilled, God has been able to find people who will pay the price to fulfill the conditions of revival. And when that happens, God in his sovereign goodness is pleased to pour out revival. So it's almost as if these conditions get filled, fulfilled, and then the spiritual atmosphere gets charged in a certain way by the fulfilling of these conditions, and then God opens the floodgates of heaven and he pours out his Holy Spirit in a remarkable way. Okay? So these, these times of pouring out are the kairos. These are the times of refreshing. Refreshing, actually it should be, it should be an A before the end. It's anapsuxis. It's a recovery, it's an interesting word. It's a recovery of breath from the uh, Greek uh, preposition ana and then suche, which means soul or breath. Psycho- we get the word psychology from it. So a refreshing is actually a recovery of one's breath, being able to breathe again. So when you're around an atmosphere of revival, somehow there is, there is a palpable tangible, feelable presence of the life of God so intense and so filled with heaven that it's as if you're breathing in pure oxygen. And often in, a, in an atmosphere like this, spontaneous healings occur. Spontaneous deliverances occur. Why? Because unlike ordinary ministry, which is God 
operating through a human vessel and out through that human vessel streams the power of the Lord and then that power hits an individual and something happens. That power is no longer just in an individual. The power has flowed out into many individuals and is literally absorbed into the atmosphere. So in fact, we can, we can uh, experience revival in a place. People call this an open heaven. Right? So there's a spatial dimension to revival as well. In fact, some historic, many historic revivals change the very climate and the very soil of the places where the revival comes. It's incredible. So it's holistic. It doesn't just affect human life. It affects animal life. It affects biological life. It, it affects soil, the climate, because God's heavenly reality flows into the earthly sphere. Okay, all right, so this is a biblical definition. This is an understanding of revival. Revival is a good thing. <laughs> revival is God on steroids. Good thing. All right, real quick. Might not get to this. Go to the next slide. Okay, just basically, how are those conditions fulfilled? Through extraordinary prayer, sometimes for a long time, persevering leaders, leaders who won't give up on pressing through and asking God and believing God for an outpouring of spirit. Christian unity, God will not come, God is not attracted to an atmosphere of Christian disunity. He is attracted to an atmosphere of Christian unity and love. He will come in that context. Spiritual hunger and thirst, and a person or a prepared people. God, it seems like for God to come in revival, there needs to be a people or a place prepared to host his coming. God's not stupid. You agree with me? God's not stupid. He's not going to try to come and dwell in a place where he's not welcome, where there won't be a habitation environment for him so he will come and stay where there is a place prepared for him okay quickly let's go to the next slide i won't get to this i don't think lasting personal transformation not just flashes in the pan the welsh revival lasted one year resulted over 150,000 conversions in wales alone 10 years later over 80% of those people were still active members of the churches they joined after they were saved. That's a remarkable retention rate. Lasting personal transformation. Salvations through increased evangelism. People come into the kingdom who don't know him before. Some of the most notorious people, some of the most notorious God-haters, right here. I came to the Lord through the power of personal revival that then swept up into the Jesus movement, and I was part of that. Social reformation, the poor cared for, slavery is opposed, women's vote and equality, all this stuff is Christian-produced, usually the result of revivals, racial equality, social justice, business fairness, economic prosperity, care for the strangers and foreigners, reduction, sometimes vast, reduction in crime. All of these are the results of the power of God in revival and the blessing or preparation of a nation. Now, this is, a, this is important maybe uh, for, for us right now. I think God is about 
is pouring out new, a new wave of revival in the earth right now. And revivals historically in the past have prepared our nation for something a few years down the line that's going to be happening that's relatively cataclysmic. Okay? The first great awakening, it was the uh, Revolutionary War followed after that. The second great awakening, the Civil War. So, typically speaking, uh, revivals seem to prepare a nation to go through difficult times, but there are also times when it simply results in an increased prosperity for the nation without the cataclysmic to come. So it's, it's not always exactly uniform, but they usually have some sort of societal purpose where God, God gives them to prepare his people. Okay, next slide, and then we'll end. What about us? Do not fear or shrink back. Participate at whatever ever level you are comfortable. If God puts us into major revival, and we're part of a great thing God is pouring out on the earth, and I want to be, but if he, if he privileges us with that, then all of us here, I just want to invite you, participate at whatever level you are comfortable. I mean, I'm, I'm really serious. I have seen before in the past People who are in revival are so caught up and they're so changed because of it that what they do is they put ungodly, fleshly pressure on other people. you got to come out. If you don't come to this meeting, you're a bad person. That isn't going to win too many people to God. And it's going to turn people away. Don't do that. Love people. Serve people. Honor people. William Seymour had an amazing quote. He said, the Pentecostal power that was poured out, he said, it really, what it boils down to, he said, is it's more of God's love. And he said, if there's not love that is the result of a revival, then that revival is counterfeit. That's what he said. So we have got to make sure we are more loving as a result of being in revival than before. Okay? Next slide. Do not be shocked by human criticism or demonic attack to try to end revival. This stuff always happens. Respond to criticism with love and blessing. Respond to demonic attack with authoritative resistance and prayer. Next slide. Quickly, I'm going quickly. Ask God to make you hungry and thirsty for Him. You cannot manufacture hunger for God, but you can ask Him to make you hungry, make you more of God, make you more, make you, I don't know what that means, make you more of God in your life and through your life than you have now. Hopefully you understand that. <laughs> and finally pray. Psalm 85, 6, will you not revive us again, Lord? Ask him to pour out his spirit, stretch out his hand to heal, sweep many into his salvation. Some of us will pray more, some of us will pray less, some of us will do, some of us will go out to other churches and we're going to share testimonies and we're going to preach the gospel and we're going to invite people into Christ. And as we do that, let's pray as we sense our Kairos time of revival coming here at the barn. Let's pray that this time around, everything God does here with us will please him and advance his kingdom on the earth. Let's stand together. Lord, we thank you for you. We thank you that you are an extraordinary God. Yes, you do use ordinary people. 
but you do extraordinary things through them. And Lord, we thank you. We thank you, God. You don't call the qualified. You qualify the called. (laughs) And Lord, we thank you that every one of us can stand before you. And like Randy Clark said, you can use, if you can use little old me, you can use us all. And so God, for what's up coming up, what's coming up ahead to reach, literally, Lord, I've been praying, reach thousands and thousands in our area for you. And revolutionize our institutions around here. All that stuff, God. God, bring it on, Lord. And give us all our own parts to play. And we thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, healing ministry to my left, prophetic ministry to to my right, all the rest in the center.